Amen. How many guys, unfortunately, watch the news? You watch the news, you got to watch the news, because things are getting nuts out there. Have you noticed that? People's behavior is getting wacky, right? I mean, crazy. I mean, just, just are you serious, right? Have you said that to the TV yet? Are you serious? you got to be kidding me. Do you really believe that? I can't believe you're doing It makes no sense, whatever. Have you noticed that? Well, folks, I'm telling you, that's the tip of the iceberg. I've come across a list of all kinds of things that don't make sense. And let's see if it agrees, just besides, Barry, you're with me, right? Okay, Barry's with me, so pay attention. Me and Barry, we're on the same page here. Let's see if this is, a, uh, is, is true for you. But the things that just don't make sense. First of all, here's, the, here's one. Hey, why do you get a pizza to your house faster than an ambulance? Have you noticed that? <laughs> Maybe we should get those guys to be part-time CPR guys or something. It's, I don't know, whatever. Hey, here's one. Hey, why do drugstores make the sick walk all the way to the back of the store to get their prescriptions while the healthy people can buy cigarettes at the front? It's kind of counterproductive. Hello. Right? But anyway, let's keep going on. Hey, why do banks leave the doors wide open? Then they chain those pins to the counters. Right? Is that where you hide the gold? Is that your little technique? Okay, give me a break. Hey, why do we use answer machines to screen calls? Then we got call waiting so we won't miss a call from somebody we didn't want to talk to in the first place. (laughs) No wonder we're all stressed out. Are you kidding me? It's crazy. Uh, Here's another one. Hey, why do we buy hot dogs and packages of 10, but we get buns and packages of (laughs) 8? It just drives up a wall. You never have enough. Oh, you're stressing. That doesn't make sense. Hey, why is it, listen, when you blow in a dog's face, he gets mad at you, but you take him in the car, he sticks his head out the window, 65 miles an hour. Oh, he's loving it. It just doesn't make sense. Hey, why is it that anyone driving slower than you is an idiot, but anyone going faster is a maniac? <laughs> Who makes you the arbiter? traitor but that's kind of funny and why is it they show you uh how detergents take out blood stains come on man if you got a t-shirt with blood stains on it uh, maybe laundry's not your biggest problem you know what i'm saying check out your neighborhood your co-workers your family your relationships start praying do something but anyway uh, hey why is it when you ask people why they got deer heads on their walls they tell you hey it's because they're beautiful animals i think my wife brandy's beautiful but i only have photographs of her on the wall okay for those of you deer hunters out there and she's right here in front <laughs> but how many of you guys it's everywhere man everywhere you go it just doesn't make sense it's the news it's things in life they just start stack it's just crazy okay but folks you know where i'm going with this i don't know about you but i've noticed one thing in particular it's got to be the craziest thing of all it just truly doesn't make sense you know what that is it's when we christians walk around acting like practical atheists man are you kidding me that just doesn't make sense man okay and what's the premise we we, we say we believe in god of course you got to say that but half the times when you look at our lives, you hear from our lips, what are we doing? We're giving the impression like God doesn't even exist. He's not even part of the equation. And the problem is it's not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God because they're watching us, folks. Just like Ken brought up that scripture today. How do people react when they're in our midst? Are they going to fall down on their face and worship God? Folks, we might be in a worship service right now, but when we leave the sanctuary, we're the only worship service or Bible people will ever see. And when we act like a practical atheist, it's like, <sighs> drives them away. So that's the premise of our study. And so to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. Now, by way of recap, because we have to do a recap, it's just the law, Bobby. <laughs> We've already seen the first thing about God, what? He is real. Praise God, this isn't a pipe dream. We're here for a real reason. The second one, he's intimate, personal. Jesus died for a boring relationship. A boring religion, a man-made, hey, stand up, sit down, all that, isn't that, no, a beautiful bride-like relationship with who the creator of the universe, absolutely 
mind-blowing that God chooses to do that. The third thing, he's wise. He knows it all. Why would you go anywhere else for advice? He never gets it wrong. He's also sovereign. He, he, he can do whatever he wants. He, as we're going to see again, today, God is not only power over all things. He works all things together for good. We'll see that again today. We saw he's also powerful. He can save anybody he wants, supply any need he wants, solve any problem he wants. There is always hope when God is on the throne. Last time I checked, Tom. He's always on the throne, and he is. And speaking of his throne, we saw the sixth thing. God is what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy, man. And then the last six times we saw the seventh thing is God is what? God is love. Now, we saw, remember that first one, okay? God is not loving. He's not lovable. God is love itself. That's what the scripture says, okay? And that's a very important thing. And then we saw it's a wonderful, fantastic, huge truth, like a big old giant diamond. Right, men? When we bought our ladies, that big old, yeah, I'm not going there because it'll cause a fight. But anyway, <laughs> like a big old giant diamond, right? And the diamond's why? Multifaceted, right? Shaved here, shaved there, right? And that's what we're doing. God's love is like a big old giant diamond. And each week, we're taking a look at another facet, and we're going to do that today. Now, we've already seen several different facets. One, God demonstrates he is love itself by, what? by giving us mercy. He gives us compassion. He gives us kindness. He gives us graciousness. He gives us patience. And he gives us, we saw last time, his faithfulness. Remember that? Praise God. God is faithful even when we're not amen for that okay and we broke it down and saw that he is faithful when he keeps on providing for us okay even though we keep sinning he keeps protecting us even when we keep sinning after getting saved and he keeps on hearing our prayers he keeps day after day drawing us to intimacy to him even though sometimes frankly we're running in the opposite direction isn't that absolutely wonderful amen okay well tom i'm still preaching on this so guess what there's got to be more, and you are right. Uh, the seventh way the Bible reveals that God is love is God gives us goodness. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, and praise God he is. Okay, and that's what we're going to take a look at today. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, and uh, let's take a look at what the psalm says and declares about the goodness of God. And why is that an important thing? For us to distinguish even today psalm 69 we're going to read verses 13 through 18 psalm 69 13 through 18 and uh, let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to read god's holy word to you and i the psalmist saying there 69 psalm 69 starting with verse 13 let's go ahead and let's read but i pray to who oh lord in the time of your favor in your great love oh god answer me with your what Sure, salvation. Rescue me, God, from the, from the mire. Don't let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the, the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the, the depths swallow me up or the pit close over its mouth of me. And How many guys would say the guy's in trouble? <laughs> yeah, okay, he's in trouble, but he's doing the right thing. He's going to God. So he says that, answer me, O Lord, out of the what? The goodness of my own behavior. No, the goodness of your love is what he says there. Answer me out of that. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly because I am in trouble. Come near me and, and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You may be seated. But the psalmist here basically is reminding us, folks, of some, some good news. When you and I are in times of trouble, anybody ever um, go through times of trouble? Raise your hand. Right. Anybody in a time of trouble right now? Raise your hand. Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, take heart because it's coming, right? Because we all got to take our turn. It's just going to happen, okay? But here's the good news. The psalmist says, listen, uh, when we go through times of trouble, the good news is what? 
we call out to God, right? Not to your friends, not to the internet, right? Call out to God. Go to God, number one, okay? But you can see here, he's extremely confident. He's not talking about just salvation, save me. He's talking about your sure salvation, right? He's just confident when he calls out to God, he's in the muck, he's in the mire, he calls out to God. He is very confident, right? That God is going to hear him and God is going to interact, okay? And that's what he says, that God will not only hear us is what he's confident about, but God will come near us in our time of trouble. God will also rescue us in our time of trouble. And my point is this, why is the psalmist so confident that God will do this on our behalf? Oh, I know, Bunny, it's because we're so wonderful, right? No, 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 no. God will come near us because we're always so faithful to obey God and everything. No, no, no. God will come near us and rescue us in our trouble because, because, hey, we we just have things happen to us for no reason at all, and we have zero part in doing it. The bet. No. What's he say? This is the phrase there. He says, listen, he's so confident that God will come near him because what? The goodness of your love. Folks, let's be honest. Half the problems we experience in life, you know who's responsible for them? us isn't it true oh we want to play the blame game which by the way was the first sin after the first sin you know when adam and eve when they sinned what they say yes god i take full responsibility for what i just did are you kidding me that's the wrong translation what's it say there adam says what that woman you gave me right and then god approached eve what'd she say yes i just really take responsibility for this no that snake you put here i say blame the first sin after the first sin folks uh, how many times do we play that game? We did it ourselves, but oh no, just like Adam and Eve, we don't want to admit it. Oh, it was that. It was that person. It was them. No, you know what? It was us. We had our part to play. We did the same thing. And, and so this is what it is. And this is why he's so confident. He's not calling out to God. God, I know I'm confident. You're sure salvation is going to happen. Come, rescue me, help me, whatever. Not on the basis of me. Because I know I still blow it. But on the basis of the goodness of your love. Because you're good, God, and you love me. You will come and rescue me. Okay? Now, is anybody excited that God will help us in spite of ourselves? <laughs> Including even when we're the ones who made the mistake? Yeah, that's good news, okay? And that's what we're going to begin to tear apart, the goodness of God, okay? The first way the Bible reveals the goodness of God, this facet of God being love itself, is that he keeps on using us. Isn't this wonderful? God uses us and keeps on using us, Christian, in spite of us, okay? And this is what Paul's talking about, this important aspect when it comes to serving God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 and 7, Paul says this, listen, we don't go around preaching about who? Ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about he. We go about preaching who? Christ Jesus the Lord. All we say about ourselves is, hey, we are your servants because of what Jesus has done for us. And then he says this, but we have... This treasure in what? Jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is, is from who? It's from God, not from us. Okay? And so this is what Paul's saying. It's a very humbling thing. Even when it comes to the issue of being used by God, okay, being empowered by God to live for God, to be his servant, okay, where does that come from? It's not us. It's God. Right? People come up to you, hey, you did such an incredible job. You're right. <laughs> no. It's not from me, man. It's from God. In fact, you know what? When it is from me, when it makes people want to cry, when it's all messed up. That's ex- perfect timing, man. We practiced that all week. You delivered it. That's awesome. 
<laughs> no, when you know it's from me, or when we are responsible for something, it ain't going to work out. If it works out, if it blesses somebody, oh, hey, we're not preaching ourselves, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's when it's messed up. I'll take ownership for that. This is from God. And that's why he uses this, this awesome analogy. He says it, he stores this powerful treasure, the power of God to serve him, to be used of him, to serve other people in his name, in jars of clay. Now, this is pretty cool. The jars of clay analogy, I don't know if you've heard this before, but uh, I, I, I'd like to translate that. He stores it in jars of clay, in other words, crack pots. Turn to somebody and say, hey, man, you're a crack pot. It feels good. You know, hopefully it's not in a good way. But <laughs> and the reason why I say it's a crackpot, because he stores his power, the power of his spirit in what? Us. We're his temple, right? We're the jars of clay. But guess what? We leak. We sin. We, we, we're cracked. We're crackpots. Let's just close in prayer. I learned I was a crackpot today in service. <laughs> no, but, but, but this, is the, this is the good news. Listen, even after we get saved, listen, we, we're cracked. We're a bunch of crackpots. We're Christians are crackpots. We, 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 God stores this. And... You see, when we get a, a vessel and it's cracked and it's messed up, what are we, what are we tempted to do? Fix it. Are you kidding, Bobby? Lower prices at Walmart every day, man. Are you kidding me? Throw that thing away. Go get a new one, right? And aren't you glad that even as Christians, when we crack this pot, when we blow it, even after getting saved, God doesn't kick us to the curb. He says, I'm still going to use you anyway. Right? In fact, and we've seen this so many times before. I want to bring it up again. How many times in the scripture does God have to demonstrate that he uses us in spite of us? Okay? And it's Old Testament, New Testament, even today. This is good news. We should go, you. You get excited about this, but let's take a look again at the so-called heroes of faith, right? Does God only use perfect people whose pots have never been cracked? Are you kidding me? Let's deal with the facts here. Uh, Moses stuttered. God used him as a great statesman to stand and speak before Pharaoh, and, and on and on it goes, and the people. Uh, David's armor didn't fit, but man, he was still willing to fight, and God used him in a mighty, mighty way. Uh, John Mark was rejected by Paul, right? It's a serious issue, but he was useful for ministry. Keep reading the Bible. Uh, Jose, his wife, uh, was a prostitute. I mean, surely he's got to be disqualified. And Amos' only training was in fig tree pruning. He only knew how to train. What? You're a prophet of God? You haven't been to seminary, right? God used him. Uh, Jacob was a liar, right? David had an affair. Uh, Timothy, had, Timothy had ulcers. Peter was afraid of death. And listen, Lazarus was dead. How many guys would say that's a serious detriment to serving? But praise God, he got raised from the dead, and he got used again by God. It was just absolutely amazing. Uh, John was self-righteous. Naomi, she was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses, by the way. Uh, Jonah, he ran from God. Miriam, she was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas, they both doubted. Uh, Jeremiah, he was depressed and suicidal. God still used him. Uh, Elijah, he was burned out. And John the Baptist was a loud mouth. Have you heard of those preachers? Man, they get loud. They're crazy. Praise God, God can still use you, right? right? John the Baptist. Uh, Martha was a worrywart, man. Uh, Mary was lazy. Come on, I tell you what. Samson had long hair. He was a rocker dude, man, and God still used him. Uh, and Noah got drunk. Every one of those are recorded for us in the Scripture. Now, God's not condoning sin. He never condones sins. He never plays with sin. We've already been through that in his holiness. Remember that? But here's the good news for you and I. How many guys would say that those people... What a bunch of crackpots, <laughs> right? 
Well, that's good news for you and me. I'll never forget, I was pastoring in Northern California, and this girl comes up to me, and she says, Pastor Billy, I've been reading through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. I'm reading about the life of King David. And you know, the Bible says that David was a, a man after God's own heart, and, and yet I'm looking about this thing, and it was with Bathsheba, and he sinned, and he committed adultery, and, and then later he set the guy up and, and murdered the guy, and, what, and how, can, how can you justify the two things? And it had to have been the Spirit of God. It didn't make somebody cry. Because it wasn't me. It's just one of those moments when you have the right words, they just pop right out of your mouth. I looked at her with a big old smile and says, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it? She's like, what? I said, isn't it wonderful? Because that tells you that God uses us in spite of us. And she got it. I got it too. I was blessed all over. God uses us in spite of us, okay? He says it, he shows it in the scripture over and over again, and that should be good news for us, but I don't know about you, I noticed this problem, okay? Even though we know as Christians we're a bunch of crackpots, right? Nobody's condoning sin, nobody's uh, saying sin's not a big issue, we shouldn't refrain, nobody's saying that, but we're still gonna blow it, right? For some uh, reason, folks, we think that uh, a Christian, when we do blow it, and you're gonna blow it, that we think, oh, God can't use us because we, we don't have a perfect life. And, and we, we, we get tricked into thinking he can't use us anymore. He won't use us anymore. We committed the unpardonable sin. We might as well just stop serving God, crawl in a hole and die. If God had to wait for our behavior to become perfect before he'd use us, he'd still be waiting. Read the Bible. Hey, again, I'm not condoning. Uh, hey, listen, if you've got an attitude, you could give a rip about sin. You're never convicted of sin. You could give a rip about serving God, period. Something's wrong. That might be a sign you're not even saved in the first place. We'll deal with that, Lord willing, in the next message. Okay? But we're going to blow it. But guess what? God is good. All the time. Because he will still use us in spite of us. It's always been through the scripture. Don't give in to the lie of the evil one that says, oh no, you're never going to be used again. You've done it this time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because here's the facts, folks. Read the scripture. If the standard of behavior for God to use any one of us, myself included, was perfection, he never would have used David because he had an affair and he murdered somebody. He never would have used Noah because he got drunk. He never would have used Moses or Paul because those guys murdered people as well. And this is what's so amazing about the goodness of God. Every single one of us is going to blow it after getting saved. So what does God do? Does he do what we do to each other? Does he reject us? Does he say, I will never use you again for my glory? I'm going to cast you away. Get out of here. I don't want to see your face again, you worthless piece of trash. You wretch, go! No. Praise God, God is not like us. Amen? God is good. All the time, God is good, and God, on the basis of the goodness of your love, would you please keep using this life in spite of me? And guess what? He will. Isn't that amazing? He keeps on using us in spite of us. That's just the first one. The second one, we see the goodness of God. He keeps on blessing us. (laughs) He keeps on blessing us, man, in spite of God. And again, it's wrapped up in the phrase we saw over and over again in his sovereignty, okay? And hopefully this doesn't get old for you, but this is the promise that God will bless us, okay, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, now let me stop right there because in the, you don't get this unless you get into the Greek, so let's Greek out for a second. 
it literally means, and we know emphatically, absolutely sure, it's on record, there's no question, it doesn't even doubt, it, no doubts, nothing ever even enters my brain. If there's one thing I know in life, it's this. Besides having to pay taxes, it's this, right? You, I, I know this, I got this down. That's literally what it says there, very emphatic. And we know, and of all things for him to say, we absolutely know, without a shadow of a doubt, that in how many things? All, all things. God works for the good, right? For the whole people on the planet. No, there's a caveat. For those who love him, those who've been called according to his purpose, okay? So the scripture gives us a wonderful promise that when it comes to the issue of being blessed by God, i.e. in the context here, working all things out together for good. How many guys have said it's a blessing? Yeah, okay. Uh, who does God do it for? He does it for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. He does it for his children. Now, let me break this down. Notice what it did not say. First of all, again, it didn't say he'd work out some things in your life for good, right? It didn't say he'd work out most of the things in life for good. What did he say? He said, I'm going to do it for every single last little, everything you possibly could ever go through. All means all. God is going to work it all out for good. Uh, good. Also, notice what the text said, that God would work out things for good. Notice this. He did not say, for those who live perfect lives. That wasn't there, was it? He just said, I'm going to do it. You belong to me. Listen. Nothing might change the scripture. You belong to me, God says. I'm going to work everything out for good. And I mean everything. Everything. You mean even that? Yeah. You mean even that thing that I was reading? Mm -hmm, even that too. <laughs> and yet, unlike Paul, who's writing this, what do we do? I don't know about this one, though. I don't know. But what did Paul say? I, man, there's one thing I've got. I know this one. High times, low times, good times, bad times, even things I'm responsible for. What's God promise? <sighs> hmm. Never condones sin, never plays with sin, but he is so powerful. I call him the ultimate recycler. He'll take everything we go through, even the bad choices we make in life, flip it around for good. Haven't you learned that one yet? Oh, it's awesome, right? Because sometimes we go through life, and it's bad enough that we have things that people do to us, hard times, bad times. And then we go, okay, okay, I don't know, I don't see it now, I don't have the answer, but God's going to work this thing out together for good. I know that for sure. But when we're involved in the equation and we have our hands in the pot, what do we have a tendency to, I don't know, I don't know, all things for good. Now, let me give you a couple of examples, okay, that God, even when you make mistakes, and again, nobody's condoning sin, nobody's saying, roll over on that issue. Listen, God, he said all you're my child, all means all. Let me give you a couple of mistakes that I've made over the years. One was when we first started ministry, very first year. I didn't know, Brandy and I, when, uh, seven years going to Bible college and seminary, worked full-time and went to school at night, right? And so we, as far as income, uh, I didn't know this whole ministry thing. I, I was even a bivocational pastor for two years, did it for free, for two years full-time. So, but this is the first time they actually got compensated for being a full-time pastor. And, uh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know they were going to treat you like a business. You're considered self-employed. Do you know that? And so well, you get taxed like a business. I didn't know any of this stuff. I just, I was used to, like everybody else, you know, the employer takes care of that stuff. It's all automated. Come time to do our taxes. Uh-oh. We were $4,000 in the hole. Now, for some folks, it may not sound like much. Uh, this was uh, many years ago. <laughs> so... He might have said four million. We had nothing, man. Are you kidding me? We had no bank account, or we had a bank account, but we had no savings account. We had nothing. 
And there's nothing more invigorating than getting that letter in the mail stamped IRS. Which I've learned that they really need to spell the rest of that word completely and add T-H-E on the front of that. Theirs. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> no, it's, whoa! And so we're getting, but listen, now, we didn't know it, but technically, that's our responsibility. So our hand was in this one. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Four, I, we ain't got 4,000. I, I, I can't even sell the car for four grand. I kid you not, within just like a week or two or less, listen to this. God put it on the heart of a non-Christian to bless my wife and I with $5,000. And we not only paid that tax bill, but hey, we were a thousand bucks up. <laughs> now, granted, it was a rough way to make a grand, okay, but the point is, listen, technically, we were responsible for that, but what did God do? He worked it around together for good. Our mistake. All means all. Let me give you one more. Um, I was... Um, Still, I was going to seminary, and uh, I had taken a sabbatical from a, uh, going, going to seminary from a position I was in, and uh, doing my seminary studies, and, or I was just Bible college, I was, I was flirting with the idea of going to seminary, and, but I was still working full-time in the day, and uh, uh, just finishing Bible college, and, and frankly, I, I, at that point, I was just like, man, I've been doing this for five years, I just want to take a break, I just want to get into ministry and stuff, but God had other plans, right? And I was convinced, no way, man, I, you know, I'm just not going to do graduate studies, and I, and so anyway, so I'm, I'm still working. So this, the company that I worked with, they had a company party. Their headquarters was in Chicago. I was in Sacramento at the time. And uh, so they flew for all of us to go to Chicago and to be a part of this company party thing. Right? So it was, it was, okay. it was kind of cool, free trip. You went to Chicago, never been to Chicago before at that time. And uh, so long story short, the day that we had to leave, my coworkers, Brandy had went with me and my wife, my coworkers ditched us at the hotel. And we sat there because we thought because we're supposed to meet at a certain time, and they didn't show up, and they didn't show up, and we just well they got to be here any second. They said they'd be here. They said they'd be here. Well, unbeknownst to us, they ditched us and left earlier. And then the time's going, and we had to get a shuttle to the airport, and we didn't have our own plan, so we're like what? And so finally, it got so late, we're going like we're gonna miss the flight. So we're scrambling to get there. We finally get to the airport, and uh, and sure enough, I kid you not, uh, we get to the airport and we finally get checked in. Okay, and the coworkers are there. Now, to be honest with you, I should have been excited I made it to the plane on time. I didn't have the most godly attitude. I didn't say one word to them, but here's what I did, which still was a mistake on my behalf. I went up there to the front desk, and I says, change our seats, because I didn't want to sit next to them. Change our seats. I don't care where you put us on the plane. Just keep my wife and I together. Put us somewhere else, because it was already paid for. We were already supposed to sit together. So we walked down the, air, the aisle, they changed the seat for us, and we walked by those folks. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But listen, it just so happened, it just so happened, God will even use our own mistake. That was wrong of me. It was not a godly attitude. But it just so happened, of all places for me to get uh, sitting by on that uh, airplane, was a guy named Dr. Desmond Ford. Now, he's a radio ministry teacher in Sacramento. I recognize his voice. He's got the, unlike unlike myself. He's got this manly, cool voice, you know. <laughs> you just totally recognize, right? 
And, and what caught my eye is that he's right next to me, of this where I got seated after I told people to sit somewhere else, and he's reading Hebrew, so I'm going, oh, something's up now, because no, you're either a Christian or a Jew, one of the two, but I'm going to find out what's going on. Nobody reads Hebrew, right? So <clears throat> anyway, so and the whole time, like three and a half hour flight, go to, we would talk about life and ministry and stuff, and, and he just, every once in a while, he'd say, you need to go back and do your graduate studies. And then he move on to another topic. And then he would say, and you need to go back and do your graduate studies. Because I'm telling you, I'm burnt out, man. I'm so tired of going to school. And you're, no, no, you need to go back. And so this went on for three and a half hours. Well, about three and a half months later, that stuck in my head. And I decided, you know what? I need to go back. And I need to do my graduate studies, right? Which, man, I kid you not, all because I got on that plane, right, that, uh, with that seat sitting next to him, uh, it meant that I resigned uh, from my current pastor at that time. I took a sabbatical. I sure enough went to seminary, which led me to another pastorate, which unbeknownst to me, that's where God birthed a media ministry, which led to a full-time uh, teaching ministry, which led to one day getting a phone call from this guy named John Gibson in Las Vegas, who said the church wanted to talk to me, which led me taking that position, which in Sunrise here in Las Vegas, maybe you heard of the church, and then which led to us now being able to share the gospel around the world to 218 countries. All because somebody ditched me at the airport. <laughs> Trace the trail. And I did what I probably shouldn't have done. But what did God do? He's not condoning what I did. That was wrong. But he says, you know what? All means all. God is good all the time. And even our own mistakes, God will still use and flip around for our good. And we know this absolutely for sure. Whoa! Isn't that exciting? It should be. You see, that's the issue. When we don't trust God that all means all, including our own mistakes, we start freaking out, we worry, and we just need to get back to what the psalmist did. Listen, uh-uh, God, I am not trusting you to work all this out together for good because of my behavior, but on the goodness of your love. You will work, the, even my own mistakes, oh God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, but you are so good, you're even going to fix this one. Isn't that amazing? Okay, now let's take a look at just how much evidence of that, that God really does work all things out for good. I want to give you one other example, secular, because you're thinking like, because we, we have this tendency, oh yeah, but you don't know my situation. Yeah, it worked out for you all right, but you don't know my life. Right? Or what about this situation? Oh, this was horrible. You mean to tell me God's going to work good out of this one? I mean, people died. There was... You belong to God. I didn't say he did. Stop doubting. All means all. Wedgwood Baptist Church, remember that? Several years ago, guy goes into that church, starts killing people. Oh, you got to be kidding me. There's no way God can fix that thing, right? Well, let's take a look at the facts. Maybe this is what they didn't show you on the news, all right? Did he really work all things out together for good? Well, first of all, before the shooting, the pastor prayed that God would do whatever it took to expand the ministry of Wedgwood Baptist Church, okay? And boy, did he ever. Now, to enter the church sanctuary, the gunman walked past the children's playground, which should have been full of kids, but for some reason, every single children's and preschool class was running late, so no one made it to the playground yet. Think that's by chance? Spared every single one of the kids. Okay. Now, the gunman fired over 100 bullets into a crowd of over 400, but only 14 were hit. And he did not shoot over the 60 bullets that he still had with him. So there was a limit put on it. The bottom fell off the pipe bomb that he threw, and the bomb landed without ever exploding. That didn't happen. Uh, one of the youth, listen, this is cool. 
One of the youth that was wounded, she was shielded by a disabled friend with her body. She had scoliosis. Therefore, the curve in her spine directed the bullet away from her major organs, saving her from serious injury. And her whole life, she probably wondered, God, why do I have scoliosis? Here's one reason. It's to save your life down the road. Isn't that wild? Okay. Oh, and one of the people in the sanctuary at the time just happened to be a paramedic. He was able to stop bleeding and stabilize injured people before the emergency crews arrived. Uh, none of the adults who died had children. So God spared uh, that event. All seven victims were not just Christians, but bold Christians who were passionate about their faith. No doubt where they were going. Uh, many members of the Wedgwood Baptists are healing broken relationships within the body and experiencing spiritual renewal. Uh-huh. Who cares at this point? He sat in my pew. They took the last roll at the potluck. Who cares about that stuff? Are you kidding me? So God's healing relationships, right? The pastor presented the gospel on Larry King Live when prompted by a question asked by Al Gore at the time. CNN broadcasted the memorial service live. Amazingly, because one of the victim's families lives and works in Saudi Arabia, that country allowed the service to be broadcasted there as well. Listen, in Saudi Arabia, it's illegal to say the name of Jesus on the street. And so they got to witness them there. And because of that same CNN broadcast, 35 people in Japan gave their lives to Christ. Several school students met around the flagpoles the next day. One school, 25 students accepted Christ. 110 got saved at another school. One teacher led 22 students to Christ in the classroom. They immediately received over 70,000 hits on their webpage, which displays the gospel in multiple languages. Uh, because of the live news coverage and interviews, over 200 million people had heard the gospel because of that single tragedy. Every time the gunman fired a bullet, he intended to take a life, but God turned that around for good. He saved several lives for each bullet fired. The faith of those who died has been multiplied many times over. I don't care what the event is. God is good all the time. And he will, if you belong to him, work everything out together for good you don't need to doubt just get to that point where paul was i know beyond a shadow of a doubt if there's one thing i know besides death and taxes unless the rapture happens god's gonna work it all it's good even my own mistakes i don't care what the listen god will work it out together for isn't that an amazing comfort okay one more to go and this is no pun intended since we're having a dessert cook-off contest it's icing on the cake this is cool right <laughs> The third way the Bible reveals the goodness of God is he keeps on loving us. Oh, this is at the core, right? Because you blow it and you think, oh, he can't. He's done. He doesn't love me. Not when he says, you need to read the Bible. Okay, and this is one of the amazing promises that we see in the scripture uh, in the book of Hebrews, okay? Uh, Hebrews 13, 5, because God has said, listen, never will I what? Leave you. Oh, how often? On the weekends? When you blow it? The first time you get on line, I'll tell you what. Never means Never, never will I leave you. And he says the second thing there. He says, in fact, never will I forsake you. Now, this is a wild promise in and of itself. God did not say, listen, I'm going to remain with you, Christian. I'm going to save you up to this point. My son, Jesus, forgave you of every single thing that you ever did. Okay, and, and that, bang, the day you got saved. The rest of it, I tell you what, if you blow it one time, I'm done with you. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to forsake you. That's it. I've, he didn't say that. He didn't, he didn't say that, listen, when it comes to this issue of uh, uh, you blowing it, I'm just going to just leave you in a lurch. And, in fact, I remember when I was in a Bible college, the first time that I finally got to tear this apart in the Greek. It, it, it blows me away. Do you know what this verse is literally saying? Remember the rule in the Scripture. Anytime God repeats something in the Scripture, all of his Scripture is good for us. But the biblical rule of interpretation is this. When you see something repeated, God's going, hey, I really want you to get this. Chrome translation. Right? Right? God is love. God is, 
Well, he just says it one time. But it says God is holy. He is holy. He is holy. I really want you to get that. But listen to what he's saying there. He's doing the same thing in this one verse. Here's what the Greek literally is saying from God. I'm not making this up. This is amazing. Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself, God has said, and the what? The statement is on record. Just like Paul in Romans 8. Hey, I'm telling you, this is now not us. This is coming from God. This is not the apostle Paul with all due respect. This is from God. God himself is saying this. It's on record. Don't you ever doubt what I'm about to share with you. That's literally what it's saying. And listen to what he says. I will not, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. It's a double negative followed by a triple negative. That's literally what the translation is saying. God is in essence saying, Christian, listen. It's on record. The statement is made. The statement is coming from me, almighty God. If you belong to me, you've got to get this to your head. You belong to me forever. I will not, I will not leave you. I won't leave you. I won't stop ceasing to sustain you. I will not, I will not, I will not forsake you. You're mine for good. No matter what you do. Isn't that amazing? And what makes it so amazing is you put it back in the context of what we've seen with his love so far. Right? Remember where it started? It, it, he showed us mercy. God showed us mercy by giving us a palace in heaven instead of a pit in hell. A body of perfection instead of a body of pain. A heavenly greeting instead of a hellish goodbye. He, he, he gave us compassion by dying for those who wanted him dead. He continually forgives our continual sins. And he shows us kindness by accepting us just as we are. He turns us into saints, then he turns us into sons. He adopts us into his forever family. Then he shows us graciousness. He, he gives us the ability to obey, serve, and love him even after we're saved when you think we should normally do that. Then he gives us patience. He not only puts up with our sins until we get saved. He puts up with our sins after we're saved. Then he shows us faithfulness. He keeps on providing for us. He keeps protecting protecting us. He keeps hearing our prayers in spite of our sins. And the point is this, even after all that showering us with all that love, we still sin. And at some point, you would think that God would do what we do. That's it, man. I cut you off. I'm so sick and tired of doing nothing but bust my back for you. I provide for you, I love you, I forgive you, I've had it with you, and all you ever do is keep sticking the knife in my back. Ugh! Get out of here. Oh. Aren't you glad God's not like us? Oh, whoa, man, he's good. God says, listen, yeah, that's wrong, but I saved you in spite of you. My son secured it for you. I will never, I will never leave you. No matter what you've done, even after being saved. I will never, I will never, I will never forsake you. Ever. You belong to me Isn't that wonderful? He keeps on loving us. I'll never forget the first time it dropped in my head, the thought, do you realize that God loves us just as much today, after all these years of being saved, just as much as that first day we cried out to him? Even though since then, 
There's been many sins along the way. His love has not changed. It has not grown less. It has not waned. It's steady Eddie, man. If you belong to God, you'll belong to him forever. Which also means you're going to get that reward. Heaven. In spite of us. In spite of our behavior. You're going to get there. He, God, who began the good work, he will bring it to the day of completion. God will make sure you get across the finish line, even if he's got to push you there himself. Like his father did with his son. This is wild. Watch this. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who taught the ocean you can only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till evening? Whose words alone can catch a falling star?
not familiar with that scenario, that's retired Lieutenant Colonel Dick Hoyt. That's a military man. In the military for 37 years, pushing his son, Rick, a quadriplegic in an Ironman competition, because Rick said this to his dad. He says, Dad, when, you're, when I'm running, when you're pushing me, it feels like I'm not handicapped. They finished over a thousand races to date, and they finish every single time. And here's my point. Sometimes the enemy tricks us into thinking, I'm not going to make it. My walk is affected with sin. I feel debilitated. I can't, I don't know if I'm going to make it across the finish line. He who began a good work in you will get you across the finish line. Our Father, in spite of us, in spite of our infirmities, is making sure we get there. The finish line called heaven. Isn't that wonderful? That's the goodness of the love of God. That's what we need to celebrate. We're going to get there in spite of us. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? 
The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. 
And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.